Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Beginners to stage, beginners to stage. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's Backstage at Cry Havoc. I am your host, Laurie Ann Davis, she, her, and today we're going to be talking about pirates. I briefly considered doing like a traditional pirate accent and I'm really glad I chose not to. Joining me today are Octavia Bray, Tom Crowley and David K. Barnes. Please can you all introduce yourselves and tell me how you're involved with Cry Havoc and give us your pronouns as well and let's go alphabetically, why not? David, please could you go first? Hello, I'm David K. Barnes, uh, he, him, I'm the creator of Cry Havoc. Lovely and Octavia. Hi, my name is Octavia My pronouns are she, her, and I was a writer on two episodes of Cry Havoc. Lovely. And last but not least, Tom. Hello. Me, Tom. Me, he, him. Me, writer. Cry Havoc. Yes. Excellent. So efficient. I love it. And speaking of efficiency, David, you've had to do some recaps before, but please, can you recap for us the four episodes that we are talking about? Those are episodes 9, 10, 11, and 12. Kidnap, the Pirate King, Workshop, and Hostage to Fortune. I can. These are the four episodes uh, which are all about uh, how Rome um, has to deal with Sextus Pompey and his army of pirates who have managed to kidnap Octavia and Antillus and then Lepidus. Um, <laughs> this causes a, a crisis um, in uh, Rome high command of uh, Mark and uh, Gaius wondering what to do about it. Uh, Fulvia manages to get Cleopatra involved. Cleopatra, it turns out, eventually is actually uh, partly behind this whole scheme in the first place, managed to uh, hire Sextus Pompey to do the kidnapping to cause a crisis to try and help the negotiations along. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Charmian uh, manages to get on board the ship uh, uh, pretending to be a pirate um, is captured but it's okay because Sex is actually a really really cool guy he's actually a really chill a really really likeable person actually someone who really um, supportive of Antillus and his dramatic interests in theatre and uh, also finds out that uh, Charmian and Octavia kind of really do fancy each other and kind of nudges that along so by the end of these four episodes Charmian has not only confessed to Octavia that she is working for Cleopatra she's also confessed that she really does quite like Octavia 
Otavia also really like Charmian. I think they have a, a little bit of a bit of a snog at the end of episode twelve, <gasps> and then we, uh, we move on from there to see where on earth this goes next. It could all turn out really well across the following eight episodes, or or maybe maybe not. Beautiful, love. I know what I think. <laughs> <laughs> It's nice that things are working out romantically for one Octavia. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So before we talk about the episodes themselves and pirates generally, I just want to get a gauge of, have you three worked together before? Tom and David, I know you definitely have. We have. Quite a bit. We have. Yes, Uh, Tom was uh, not only as uh, Eric Chapman in um, Wooden Mm -hmm. Overcoats, he also wrote quite a number of episodes of that series. And we've we've seen each other a lot. We've gone to coffee We've seen each other around, you know. It's hard to get around. Hell hands. Yeah, Yeah, well, you know, smelled each other's hair. The, but no, yeah. uh, unfortunately, I hadn't worked with Octavia before, and uh, I was very delighted. This is the first time we got to. It was brilliant. Yes. And what an honour. I, I, I not worked with Octavia, but I'd wanted to for a while. Uh, came heavily recommended by uh, Lauren Shippen, and indeed I'd already listened to uh, Life of Leo, which is uh, the uh, a romantic comedy by Octavia about androids, uh, which I thought was very, very funny, and I wanted some of that minus androids in Cry Havoc and was really, really terrific. And then I sort of put Tom and Tavy together and said, write me about pirates. Oh, lovely. I'm so glad that this has been committed to like a recording <laughs> that I can listen to forever and ever because <laughs> I had never worked with, you know, David or Tom, but I had been such a huge fan. I love wooden overcoats. I love Victoriosity, Aww. which Tom also stars in. And so I think no, I pretended more, to be <laughs> a normal human being the very first meeting that I had for Cry Havoc. And then was like, let me just unzip this human suit and reveal <laughs> the fan within. And I was like, I just think you're both so funny. I hope you think I'm uh, funny. I think I did chase Tom down over email once to be like, tell me you liked it. The episodes that I got. And he was like, yeah, it's good. <laughs> oh, yeah, you did. Yeah, no, it was really great. It was, the draft was fantastic. And you'd, yeah, I remember you saying this. I wonder why on earth you wanted my opinion. Yeah, because uh, I treasure it highly. <laughs> we had a head writer who was, great. well, bless you. Uh, imagine Octavia's disappointment when she actually met us yeah. uh, after Never. all that. Yeah. Your episodes, Octavia and Tom, are the only ones that alternate. So I guess you had to work quite closely with each other. This was news to me when you told us this in preparation <laughs> ah. for this interview. I, forgot, I, didn't know, I didn't know that was the case, and I also didn't know it was a special different responsibility that we had. We didn't know that we were the only ones. No, we Octavia, I think we were... Well, we should probably go back to the beginning and say that we had a big sort of writing breakdown of the entire series a big chat between all the writers and we expressed interest in which sections of the story that had already been planned out we were most interested in and uh, I don't know Octave if you specifically said the pirates one I, I suggested a few that I'd be happy to do David if I remember correctly I think I said just put me wherever you want me uh, <laughs> but I would quite like this or that but then we ended up having a totally separate chat in our little pocket writers room mm-hmm. away from uh, all those other Scum, just the good ones, <laughs> me and Octavia. Uh, we had uh, a lovely little mini writer's room with David and we talked about how to break down the story and I think it was then that we decided we'd do one then the other then one then the other. Is that right, David? Yeah, Octavia, I think that's how it went. Oh, yeah, that sounds exactly right. I think I had a very similar, like, I like these characters, I like the idea of, you know, some of this emotional stuff, but ultimately stick me in where I fit in, you know, like I would do whatever. And then, yeah, I think with the alternating, at least for me, I remember thinking, oh, there's a lot of good stuff in here. Can't be greedy. Like, we got to split it up, you know? <laughs> like, 
So I felt like alternating felt good and fair. We all got good little delicious chunks of what was happening. Uh, so it was, it was like a fairness thing that was the impulse behind the alternating. I, I can't speak for Tom Crowley. For me, it was just kind of like, I liked things in all four episodes. And I was like, it's not like I can have them all, you know? So. No, yeah, I agree. I think also it was like, it felt like a particular bit of fun, but also a particular responsibility to either open or close this run of episodes. Because I think, right. again, correct me if I'm wrong, David, these stand alone a bit because they're the most sort of action-packed and there's kidnapping and adventure and on the high seas. And yeah. So it's a lot more action plot beat driven. Yeah. Whereas a lot of the rest of the time, it's agendas and machinations and people's secret whispers in, in back corridors. Whereas this was like, oh, pirates, oh, God, get on the ship. Oh, no, we're going to be killed. Oh, no, we're not. Oh, God, there's a fight. Oh, here they come. You know, it's all like that. So in this case, there was a lot of action and fun in both the first and the last one. And so it didn't quite seem fair to go, well, I'll do the first two. Or the, I don't know. Like, it felt like there were, it, w- it would be too, nicking too much good stuff to take either the start, right. the first two or the last two. And also it felt like you couldn't do, well, I'll do the first and last. Right. You do the middle ones. Exactly. So I think this seemed like the most, yeah, fairness is, comes into it. But also I think it just... It made sense. Like, we, we liked bits out of both uh, halves, really. Make it more collaborative for those four standalone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say this is one of the few sections of the series where we examine, like, a crisis, not quite in real time, but we kind of slow things down for a bit. Because I think these these four episodes, I think, take place over the best part of, like, 24 hours or something, maximum two days. Um, whereas the sections either side are very much sort of, like, here are uh, things developing over several weeks. And these are the only episodes... Um, I suppose aside from the very beginning, very end, where things directly lead into each other. And I, I quite like the kind of um, passing the baton thing where, you know, uh, Tavia ends on a cliffhanger that goes into Tom, who develops it, ends on a cliffhanger, Tavia has to deal with that. And that's re- that was really fun. And to develop all the characters across. I, I really like uh, the sort of working together, the collaborative aspect of the comedy. And I knew that both uh, Tavia and Tom both did um, had a lot of experience in sort of romantic comedies and that kind of thing. And keeping things light whilst dealing with very big pressing issues of, you know, you know heartbreak and all the rest of it. We, but do, doing it very, very lightly. And that's, I thought, this, this is sort of in its own way. These four episodes are kind of a sort of broken down feature length comedy about falling in love during the age of piracy in ancient Rome. <laughs> And it's enormous fun um, and with lots of uh, theatre jokes. And I believe even, I think there is definitely a joke in there, which I think a few people will probably assume I snuck in. It's definitely an Octavia Bray original, <laughs> which is apparently having a servant called Blue Ray. <laughs> oh, man. Having all your favourite plays on so Blue Ray. Much. Oh, my which God. Is a joke. I copped my best joke in all four episodes. And I went, yeah, no, we, we have to be keeping that. That's the best joke that, in all four episodes. That's not I remember <laughs> reading that as well. <laughs> Blue Ray. I mean, oh, it just absolutely outrageous. Brilliant. Um, <laughs> it sounds like it was very amicable, but were there any moments where Octavia or Tom, you're like, but I want to write that scene. Can I have that in my episode? I was so angry. The, the emails that I was sending. Really, really lost my rag on many occasions. No, not at all. There was like one moment at the end of an episode that we shifted into one of Octavia's episodes and then one that was shifted into the start of one of my episodes. I think that's the most disagreement we had. (laughs) Again, Octavia, I'd like to hear your perspective on this, but I think that um, certainly in my working relationship with David, no, I think and generally, my philosophy is writing is no ball ache. (laughs) So 
as few opportunities to be difficult and throw the toys out the pram as possible, partly because it endears you to employers like David K. Barnes <laughs> and partly because it makes the experience more pleasant. So I, I, I don't think we were too precious, were we? I mean, Octavia, you may have many emails you sent to no, David. No, I don't think so. <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> I was like, how could he? No, I mean, I understand you completely. I think that similarly, I, you know, no boob ache over here. <laughs> I don't want to suffer and I don't want to make anybody else suffer. And there was never anything where it was like, how could he take that? Like, I remember what you're saying with the shifts that we had to make. Like, you got one of my scenes. I think I got one of your scenes. And the only thing I felt about it was like, oh, I got to do some work. <laughs> that was it. You know, like, it wasn't like, oh, rats. <laughs> oh, <laughs> just, <laughs> just, I'm interested. Do you remember which scenes these were and why they swapped? I think it was just that the middle two episodes both had a scene that kind of got repeat in a different way which might have been either Sextus realising that Octavia and Charmian sort of liked each other or possibly a Sextus and Antilus scene I yeah. can't remember but I thought we're keeping in one and that gives us more room in the other to do something I think actually like Sextus working with Antilus on you know, doing sort of sword fighting etc I think that happens in episode 11 oh yes that's right yeah. Yeah. so I can't exactly remember but there's something like that where both writers are something wonderful and I thought right I yeah. can only keep one of my children right. and <laughs> has to go but then that opens the space up to do something else and there's so much going on across these four episodes um, it's really nice to slow the narrative down and get to grips of things in detail I work predominantly in television where you know we're in rooms with lots of other people so to me, like collaborating and moving scenes around, like that's just part of the process. So, you know, you, you don't make a television show by yourself in the same way. I didn't like approach this opportunity being like, thank you, David K. Barnes. I'm going to go make your show by myself, <laughs> you know, like I'll do whatever you tell me. Yeah, it's worth saying as well. Like we it is a different experience in a way, because as, as Octavia was just saying, there's writers rooms in the States, particularly for telly. And generally, there's less radio uh, in the States. Yeah. Generally, like certainly through conventional broadcasters, there's less radio drama, uh, much more in terms of uh, podcast audio drama. But over here, we have, uh, we do have a tradition of writers' rooms, but there's just far fewer of them, and particularly fewer for any sort of drama series or comedy series. Generally, you have one or a partnership of writers writing the whole thing, uh, which is not because we have a sort of a differently curated. Uh, attitude towards sure. that writing process it's it's because no one has any money yeah. <laughs> so over here you're lucky if you get one writer hired to write a show uh, otherwise it's just love yeah. island i would love to work in more writers rooms and i have pitched them for various other projects and told could we make that less expensive if just you write it I mean, no i would like i want people i don't want to mm-hmm. i don't want to be alone anymore oh. please <laughs> We'll fade in some sad music over that. That's I right. Think. Is there an element of having to like adopt each other's voices when you're writing, Octavia and Tom, if you're writing this closely? Or do you not worry about that and just let David smooth over? Well, that was my approach. <laughs> Octavia might have done some harder work. Than I, did. <laughs> I did read Tom's episode 10, I think. For the, for the rewrites, I definitely tried to match some of our voices I don't think I did that for every single person. Like, I think there were some characters who was like, I'm in the pocket on Lepidus. Like, I don't need to change anything about how I did him. But I feel like there were definitely times where it was like, oh, yeah, I think Tom captured this tone better than I did. So I should make sure that I'm not messing things up when we get to my episode. 
I think also it's it's tremendous modesty on Octavia's part that actually, um, whilst the voices are, you know, the whole point is the different writers will bring different voices and perspectives, but actually, you know, the, the general tone was exactly right across all four. And there's a bit of smoothing over for me, which comes as being the editor, but it generally, you know, the characters were pretty damn consistent across all four. And when it came to even Sextus, I think it was, we had a combined idea of what Sextus might be like. I think initially in... Um, in Tavy's original draft, he he was quite a sort of a cash, casual, sort of laid back mm-hmm. sort of a character, um, and it, in, in Tom's he was more sort of actions sort or of pirate. And we met and we found a fusion between the first and second drafts of doing basically the, the best of both and combining them together. Uh, and then that came through in the second draft. It was very consistent across all four. And then I just you know, topped and tailed bits here and there. So it's it is a tremendous lot a lot of fun at doing shows like this. As Tom said earlier, it can be in uh, media very expensive to have writers rooms and quite difficult and certainly in the UK quite rare um, so at the time we're recording this writer strike going on in America hope that yep. continues to win <laughs> we need more writers rooms they're great um, so you know keep going but uh, I, it's something that's been wonderful I, which we did, I did on wooden overcoats before and on this series of Rusty Quills began to get lots of writers in because I could try and do 20 episodes by myself. I wouldn't have any fun at all doing that. I like to get other perspectives. I like other people playing with the ideas, coming up with stuff, and it should be a playground, and I really enjoy doing that. Um, and it's just a lot of fun to be working with people like uh, Tom from Tavy on, on this. That's lovely. Mm. So he's come up a fair amount uh, already. Sextus Pompey. Yeah. Pompey or Pompey? Pompey. 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 Mm. So he was a real person. And as I have said to you in text already, I did some extensive research, about 15 minutes worth. And it's not generally considered that he was a pirate. Or like some people say maybe he was. Do you have thoughts and feelings on this? And why did we make him a pirate? Sexus Pompey at this time was operating um, out of a base in Sicily and is frustrating the um, Roman Republic on the shipping lanes and is just, you know, from some perspectives, is committing numerous acts of piracy. (laughs) And it might not mean that if you're committing acts of piracy that makes you a pirate, but equally... It might do. Pirates are a big problem in ancient Rome at this time. There are Roman pirates. Actually, Sextus's dad, Pompey, Pompey the Great, one of his big things uh, politically was he was sent to deal with pirates. He waged a war against the pirates. And apparently, whereas in this our series, um, it's like almost like a, a ship, Sextus and his band of people on one ship. Some sources say that there were at least uh, uh, over a thousand ships in the pirate fleet occupying something like 400 cities or you know, sacking 400 cities. Uh, and so the army that's been raised to deal with the pirates is closer to you know, many thousands and thousands of, of soldiers to deal with them. They're, they're a huge problem. Sextus himself, as comes up in the episodes, he is the son of Pompey the Great. Pompey the Great was a very big general in ancient Rome. Uh, he did, for a brief time, work alongside Julius Caesar, who, of course, is murdered at the very beginning of our series, in what is actually the first triumvirate. The triumvirate of our series is the second triumvirate. There is a first triumvirate. I don't mention it in the series because it's confusing and we don't need to know. And it's very inconvenient. <laughs> the first triumvirate is, uh, is, more, is more unofficial, and it's Julius Caesar, Sextus Pompey, and a very rich man called Crassus. Pompey and Caesar end up um, having a big falling out, especially when Caesar kind of wants to run Rome by himself his uh, army clashes with Pompey's army and Pompey eventually has to escape and ends up in Egypt where he goes and visits uh, the current pharaoh Ptolemy uh, Ptolemy the 13th who is currently having a war with Cleopatra our Cleopatra Um, Pompey seeks help Ptolemy 13th kills Pompey Julius Caesar is very angry and then allies with Cleopatra against Ptolemy 
And that's how Julius Caesar and Cleopatra end up becoming sort of quite close. Ah. And that's how Cleopatra kind of enters our narrative. Meanwhile, while all this is going on, Sextus Pompey has seen his dad getting his head cut off, is very upset, understandably, and yeah. runs away, uh, where he raises armies elsewhere and for many years continues to blight the triumvirates. Uh, this is, you know, Octavian, Mark Antony, Lepidus, blights their attempts to sort of get anything done. Um, so he's basically the son of a big Roman general uh, with a fleet of ships and lots of people sacking the shipping lanes. Trying to make a comedy out of this, you think, well, isn't it far more exciting if we just say he's a pirate? <laughs> he is still the son of, of of a Roman statesman. It does come up in the dialogue. But yeah, it does. equally, let's have pirates. It's really fun to have pirates because, especially in media, they make great villains. And especially with them having become very popular, some would say um, with the rise of the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, but personally, of course, the best pirate film of all is The Muppets Treasure Island. I'm glad you said that. Mm, Correct, yes. It is clearly a key text for pirates. And Tim Curry's the best pirate ever committed to film, I think. Absolutely incredible. What a great performance. So we have pirates and we have Roman pirates and because they're fun and, of course, they're quite sexy. I mean, I was suspicious that was going to be the answer. I knew it. I was going to say, if you don't put the word sexy in there... What was the point of the speech, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Quite right. Yeah. Indeed. One of the few notes I had was that uh, Octavia's uh, scripts, uh, Octavia's scripts as they came in, were even a bit too spicy. I had to be toned down. I did have to tone them down. <laughs> too no! saucy. Release the original scripts. I want to read these. We will. That's, they will release them after nine o'clock when things get a little blue. Oh, gosh. How exciting. Cry havoc after dark. <laughs> That's the actual Patreon exclusive. <laughs> oh, damn. Yeah, we can't make our own erotic fan fiction. No, That's not how no. it's but we can agree that pirates are very sexy and we can have four episodes of them. It's funny thinking about pirates, isn't it? Because they are, mm. they are sexy and exciting. And even though, obviously, they had terrible teeth and they stank <laughs> all the time. But, like, you know, that aside, taking away that modern perspective, it's interesting because being asked to ponder the question, are pirates sexy? Do we think they're sexy and fun and exciting and admirable? You sort of go, yeah. But it's interesting that because it's like uh, a sort of thumbing your nose at society sense of freedom out in the wilderness Mm. is cool, right? That's a cool thing. And I sort of think I I, I think I think that even though, you know, I'm I'm a dyed in the wool socialist and that's fundamentally a sort of libertarian perspective. And uh, you go, it's still cool, though. Get on your motorbike, ride over the high seas. Rob a Spanish galleon. <laughs> if you can ride a motorbike on the high seas, yeah, you're damn sexy. <laughs> That's right. And something about it. Octavia. Yes. I'm, I'm really sad that we lost your versions of the pirates, and I would <laughs> love to read those drafts. Why do you think pirates are sexy? <laughs> you know, I think part of it is what you're saying that, listen, I live in America. I am black. I am not having a good time, okay? Like, things are not good. But I, I think that, you know, the idea of a pirate, like screw this society we're throwing things over it's like "Mm, tell me more i want to know all about what you're saying right now but i do think there's also that element of like swagger i do unfortunately think that the pirates of the caribbean franchise did a lot for that like i don't like the ocean that much i don't trust what's going on in there but (laughs) i like the idea of somebody who's just like come away with me you know like let's go get rich by you know stealing from people who've got extra and then we can just go live on some island somewhere again beach is not my thing but the idea is great Mm, like escapism with someone big and tough exactly someone a little roguish if we could engineer some sort of land pirate that would be the ideal yeah Yeah. that's cowboys isn't it i've described cowboys that's so true i feel better about horses 
you know, lift me out of the back of your horse and take me away to some remote cabin location where I don't have to pay taxes and I can just vibe. Sounds nice. Again, died in the wool socialist, so I can't endorse this message at all. I'm all about government oversight (laughs) regulation. I want to contribute to a society, you know, (laughs) maybe not the one I'm currently living in, but yes. Just not this one. (laughs) I should rephrase that. Not taxes. Take me away so I don't have to pay rent somewhere. That's really what it is. Yeah. yeah, okay, that's fair. Yeah, yeah, that's mm-hmm. nice. We like that. I, do, I, I think Sextus pays for the healthcare of his pirate. Mm. He's that kind of guy. Or are you just telling yourself that to be able to continue finding him sexy? Yeah, maybe, I mean, maybe. I'm just asking the questions. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have a really important question, actually, that I didn't prep any of you for. Do you remember who decided that he has a nice ass? Yeah, I don't think it was me. I think it was Tom. I'm fairly sure it's Tom. He must be Tom. Oh, is it me? <laughs> What's the phrase I wrote, David? He said he had uh, ex- excellent ass, a really good ass. <laughs> it's not that it's sexy. It's just excellent. <laughs> Necessarily. Very efficient. Oh, no, is it very good ass or something? I don't know. I think that suggests a kind of a roundedness, but also a muscular oh. <laughs> sort of aspect that suggests that he squats and leaps on mm. things a lot, you know, and just a general athleticism. And, yeah, admiring in all ways, uh, including sexually, the quality of the ass. I think that is Tom, the, you're the sweating. Message. <laughs> <laughs> huh? Should I just have a drink of water? <laughs> <laughs> it was something, I think, coming up, this sort of character of Sextus and the idea that he would be trying to maintain that thing of, yes, he's a sort of, like, ruthless pirate leader, but also is clearly sort of very sort of fair, open. He's very encouraging and supportive to characters. Clearly sort of uh, very pro uh, sort of romance, very uh, pro sort of queer relations. He's just, he wants people to live their best life. So long as he can sort of still get lots of money, so long as he can sort of continue to live this sort of life in the ocean waves, having a great deal of fun, which of course everyone else seems to want as well. Because all the, the Roman soldiers at the end of this tiny militia that gets raised end up all going, yeah, we want to mm-hmm. go with him. And they all bore the ship and go away. It was really fun playing with that character, and then you contrast that with all the politicians back in the middle of Rome. They go, yeah, of course you'd want to go away, these pirates, and have a cool adventure. And Antilus is having a great time. Yeah, this is the happiest he's ever been. Octavia and Charmian having a great time. I feel like I also wrote, like, my approach to sex. This was also, like, he wants the tea. He loves yeah, it. Yeah, gossip. Yeah, he's, he's a big he's fan. Like, oh, my gosh, you are not going to believe who just crawled onto my ship in search of you, girl. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's, yeah, that's sort of like, he, he's also just, oh my God, what a great twist. <laughs> right. Tell me more about it. Like, you're not leaving my ship. You're a prisoner. But hey, you can do whatever you want. We've got a barbecue going. Just, you know, kick up, have fun. Right. It fits in, I think, with the, the historical sexist, is with the idea that, you know, we're playing up this part of him where, again, if, even if you don't think of him as a pirate historically, he was, he was screwing around with people. Like, he was ruining the, the triumvirate's attempt to rule. And so by doing pirate things... So it's, again, it's not a, a life of piracy based on desperation or, you know, a genuine desire for, um, you know, that, that life of freedom on the high seas. It's, it's just about ruining everyone's good time uh, back on land. And so that kind of love of gossip, especially gossip that undermines various types of gentry on the land, I think that also plays into it yeah. really well. And then we've got all the, all the romantic comedy going on in, in the background of this. With, uh, Oct- this is Octavia and Charmian. Um, uh, so sort of finally uh, coming together after a sort of like, you know, uh, clearly liking each other over several episodes, but not really sure how to deal with it. And they just uh, they just sort of come together. And I think I, one thing I liked in this is that they one thing that kept changing as the series developed was exactly at what point Octavia and Charmian learn the truth about each other. And I thought, it's unsustainable to keep this going for too long. And I thought, actually, what's really good here is that Charmian and Octavia have nobody they can rediscuss really this with. Octavia could discuss it with, with Quintus, but Charmian doesn't. 
having a character like Sextus walk in who's not part of the, the rest of the Roman world gives you an excellent opportunity for someone to sit down and just have a talk about things that they can't talk about anywhere else. Because he's a very receptive listener and a very, very, I guess, great advice, which is go for it, which is lovely. And so that's something that's really fun. We can really advance that plot line and have this sort of, this sort of romantic stuff, the romantic yearning, whilst Octavia's also really dealing with her play, which is one of the most important things to her. Uh, to get great notes from oh my god there was pirate stuff I'm going to write some better dialogue but she also sees Charmian and suddenly that becomes a bigger thing and it's just it's just lovely and that's all real life Octavia you did a little dance when we mentioned uh, Octavia and Charmian do I take it that you have feelings with a capital F about that I love a slow burn I love a romance I love yearning you know both people in this relationship are women but what I say often, like people in my life know is that I love a man in pain. And I'm talking specifically about emotional pain. I'm talking about Mr. Darcy getting rejected. I'm talking about that scene in North and South where she's like, you want to possess me? And he's like, I don't want to possess you. I want to marry you because I love you. (laughs) And she's like, I don't like you and I never have. Oh, Music to my ears. I love that sort of thing. See, I told you the scripts were getting very (laughs) saucy. (laughs) And so then, you know, with these two, even though, you know, again, like, it's the women who are feeling all this yearning, same deal. Like, there's so much uncertainty. Do they care about me? Does she not care about me? I eat that sort of thing up. And so it was really great to also sort of be there for, like, the resolve of that. You know, like, we got to see each of them separately kind of stewing in their feelings and talking to Sextus about them but then they also get a chance to sort of unite and talk about their feelings and um that's nice I like that yeah I think actually one thing that would make uh Tavy very very jealous is that it's it's Tom who writes the scene where they first kiss yeah <gasps> yes furious I think you got me to extend that scene a bit in fact if <sighs> I remember correctly <laughs> I just had them like leap at each other it's like the end like, okay <laughs> No, it was it was a lot more unspoken and a lot more, uh, I guess, a bit more romantic comedy almost because it was not being able to say what you want to say and missing each other's point and then almost non-verbally, which doesn't work on radio, uh, fun fact. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it was something like that. But I, there was some change, and I don't know if you can remember, David. Yeah, it was because um, at this point, Charmian originally wasn't confessing to the fact that she was working for Cleopatra at this point. Oh, that's right. Originally, it was going to happen later on during some other events, but I thought, no, actually, I want it to happen now because what will happen, and without going into too many details, the episodes to follow, but I thought it's much more interesting if Octavia going forth is having a sort of romantic relationship with somebody who she knows she really shouldn't be because Charmian is is yeah. Cleopatra's spy and she knows that she works Cleopatra, she knows that she's a spy and Octavia's going for it anyway. And I thought that's more exciting. Oh, yeah. Let's go with that. It is, and it's great story currency as well to go, I'm going to trust you with this thing because, frankly, I'm in love yeah. with you. And the other person goes, oh, okay, well, fun, sounds good. And then that moves on. It just, it, it's, a, it's showing trust and a, and a kind of belief in somebody to share that with them even though it's like oh I could you could get me assassinated now very easily uh, executed in the public square and uh, then the first person showing trust in return by going that's fine I'm going to take that information and sit on it and it's a kind of mutual sharing of of that feeling and it's it's a lot easier to write that than just uh, uh hi I fancy you oh uh, yeah you too okay <laughs> snog at the end like it, there's it's a lot more to work with yeah because also then there's less of that story bloat thing where you have to sort of stretch something out so as a writer, part of your job in that situation is to go, 
This alludes to a thing that's not here yet, <laughs> but just stay listening because it's going to be great. Which is, you know, it, it's less compelling to write than and actually drop the hammer on this yeah. plot point. That's a lot more fun. Yeah, the, the sort of the forbidden love aspect of it is also quite funny. I suppose it, it's also more engaging and. Um, I mean, Tom did a fantastic... I think um, Shima has this sort of speech where she kind of gabbles a lot of how she's feeling at that moment, and which uh, uh, Tom wrote. Well, I so quickly said, I know you finished that script, but actually, could you give me another, like, half a page or page of dialogue? <laughs> and I said, no, go away. <laughs> I did, like, a Raymond Chandler, and I said, you've got to send me a, a truckload of uh, Jack Daniels to write this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think, the, I think the framers should just... Let's just write more romantic comedies. Come uh, on. I would love that. This, this was so nice. Yeah, yeah. More romantic comedies with pirates. I think I'm going to wrap us there. That's a lovely thing to wrap on, more romantic comedies with pirates. Any final thoughts? Any closing thoughts from anyone? It's always fantastic writing with David because I think I understand. We have shared sets of priorities in terms of the, what, what makes a good storytelling and good writing, and I think that's always helpful. But it was just delightful to have Octavia, who's a complete stranger to me, uh, appear on the, you know, I knew her by reputation, but not, you know, to work with personally. To have someone who clearly shared those exact same principles and, you know, could go like punch for punch with David on writing any day, you know, was, was an absolute blessing. And I'm just really, really glad to have been working on the show, but also to have been put in this, uh, triumvirate with David and Octavia. Less doomed than the real one, uh, hopefully. Oh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> yes. Octavia, how, how do you feel about the, uh, collaboration yeah i had an amazing time and you know i was so pleased i remember when i saw david's email and i had missed an initial email from somebody else because like it was one letter off or something like that so it didn't get to me so when david sent the email asking if i wanted to be a part of the show i was i think i was with a friend and she was like are you good because i was like (laughs) like i had like a medical event i was so excited um And it was such a joy um, to steal Tom's word, a blessing truly, because I was such a huge fan, was a fan of Tom. I could not have picked like a better cluster to have been put in um, to write, you know, these episodes. Me too. And it was just such a great experience. I feel like I got funnier as a result of working on the show. Um, working with David and Tom specifically. So it was just great. Funnier, but less blue. And I'm sad about that, David. And I yeah. will hold that against you forever, I think. Just <laughs> recorded less blue. You, I think I'm getting more blue in my life day over day. So <laughs> We love it. You know. Yeah. It was a pleasure working with Tom and Tavy on this. Absolutely delighted. I uh, hope to do so again very soon. Lovely. Just before we go, is there anything anyone would like to plug? Yes. My romantic comedy podcast has a second season um, coming out June 21st. You can hear it. Please listen to it. It's the second and final season. And I think it's funny. And I got to keep more uh, sex-related jokes in it than I was able to do for Cry Havoc. Excellent. Yeah. Well, I will be going to that then. Octavia Bray, unconstrained. (laughs) Unchained. Unchained, Octavia Bray. I I love Life of Leo. It's great. So do, do, I echo that. Tom, anything for you? Hello. Uh, I make a solo, usually solo, but with occasional guest performers, sketch and character comedy podcast called Crowley Time. You do. And it, it's, it's a labor of love. It's sort of my principal comedy outlet, really. Uh, the bargain I made with myself is, you know, it's okay if I don't go out and do stand-up comedy. Uh, as long as I make this podcast so you can find that there's like 27 episodes of it it's, it's sort of semi-regular I try and do it monthly but you know things like this horrible project get in the way 
uh, of that happening. Lovely. But I'm very grateful for the work, quite frankly. <laughs> anyway, you can find it at CrowleyTime.com or on any podcast app of your choosing. Please give it a listen. Fall in love with my myriad characters, including Sir Chuntley Buffingham, Wingnut, the five-year-old agony uncle, and Marco <laughs> Pony, the insane Italian chef. Wonderful. Good. Uh, I, I echo Crowley Time, Life Leo, both terrific, both things I've subscribed to you should too and while you're doing that um, if you like Cry Havoc um, you might also like a little sitcom called Wooden Overcoats of, ah. over, of which there is four seasons worth which I probably should have been plugging all the other episodes of this I've done <laughs> wonderful thank you all for joining me that was fantastic thank you listeners for joining us and I will be with you next week and have a lovely time till then goodbye everybody bye, Backstage at Cry Havoc is a podcast distributed by Rusty Quill and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution non-commercial share-alike 4.0 international license. It is directed by Armani Zardo, produced by Laurie Ann Davis, with executive producers Alexander J. Newell and April Sumner. This episode was edited by Laurie Ann Davis and Catherine Vanella. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.